Well, thanks, Paul, for that introduction. And uh, you're glowing today, I might add. I don't know if it's because your 49ers were playing or maybe that rest, so it's good. Um, I'm thankful for Paul, Pastor Paul. Uh, as he mentioned, we moved up here a few years ago to do ministry, and we're originally from Southern California, my wife, Jolene, and I, and our kids. And not knowing a lot of people and being told things about Sonoma County, you wondered, like, you know, are there like-minded believers up here? And uh, God put Paul in, in my life, and we have a mutual background, went to the same seminary and um, uh, shared some stories about that. And it was just a reminder of God's faithfulness that uh, we're not alone. And even in places where you might feel like, um, you know, am, am I the only one that thinks like this? I'm the only, you know, you feel like a standout, but you're not alone. And so um, I'm blessed to know you, and uh, you're blessed to have Paul as your pastor. I don't have to tell you that. Um, congratulations on your anniversary and uh, your birthday. Uh, you are adolescents, I guess, right? You are almost ready to drive. Uh, I, I know that spiritual maturity doesn't always mirror exactly like our physical growth, but certainly, you know, as we look at points of reference, like my, my oldest son is 14, and I remember when he was little. I remember his first day, and so when you see the growth and you see just the years and you think about it, you just are reminded and prompted towards God's to gratitude for God, God's goodness and his, his faithfulness. Um, and so I don't know if you know this, but some of the stats used to say about church plants that they don't typically last past five years. Did you know that? I don't know if that's still true, but uh, you certainly have blown that out. And so congratulations. It's an opportunity to share stories and be reminded of God's faithfulness today and this week. And, and also to just anticipate what is he going to do next through his church and through the body of Christ. Um, so I celebrate you. I think that's, that's just an incredible uh, testimony. Remembrance is important. Having uh, a memory of God's faithfulness, it's an important thing. It's important for us to have artifacts and to tell stories and to remember dates like this weekend. This weekend with your celebration and this weekend in our country's memory as we thought about 9-11 yesterday. And we, we think about these reminders of these days. We have these, these moments in time because when, as time passes, it's easy for us to forget the past. It's easy for us to, to forget the things that God did in our lives. And so we need reminders. And, and sometimes it's even easier for us to forget painful memories and those times that we wish to just put behind us. But sometimes we have to remember those things as well. We, we can't forget what God has done in our past. In fact, I think as Christians, it's an important Christian behavior and part of our faith, a central part of our faith is the activity of remembrance. I don't think it's a peripheral thing to, to be constantly reminding ourselves of what God has done in our lives. You know, if we, if we think about the ordinances of the church and the Lord's Supper, you think about what Jesus said as we come together to the Lord's table and we partake of drink from the cup and, and take uh, the body. And he said, do this in remembrance of me and, and do it often so that you are reminded of the grace of God and do it and proclaim Jesus, as we wait for his return, we, we come together in remembrance of him. It's a central part of our faith. But, you know, it's interesting because um, sometimes there are elements to even our own Christian life that we can forget. And I think that amnesia and the elements of our faith that should not be forgotten, these are not things that are supposed to go together. There's, we're not supposed to be Christians who have amnesia. 
when it comes to our knowledge and our understanding and our relationship with Jesus. Now, I've never had amnesia before, um, but what I've read about it is that it comes with a certain trauma, a brain trauma or some sort of injury in your life. And you, 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 learn, you lose long-term memory. You can't remember certain things that become important or are important in your life. You can even forget like who you are. That must be so scary. But sometimes I see little glimmers, unfortunately, in, in, in our church circles that we almost have like this, we struggle sometimes with this long-term memory thing. It's almost like we have amnesia. We can easily forget our identity in Christ. This uh, past summer, just a few weeks ago, I went to a memorial service for a mentor of mine. He was a missionary, a pastor. He was a seminary professor. And two years ago, he had a diagnosis that was completely unexpected. He had this very rare form of cancer. And the day after he got his diagnosis, I was talking to him on the phone, and this very mature Christian leader introduced me to missions in Mexico and and cross-cultural missions. And he said, you know, my whole life I've served the Lord. I I have told countless people and counseled them through situations like this when they face troubles in their lives. And and I've I've known the right things to say, but I've served God my whole life. I've lived, he's lived a healthy life. And you still left asking the kind of question like, why? Why is this happening? I've been faithful to you, and I don't know the answer. This is my turn to walk through this very same thing that I tell so many other people uh, how to walk through it. It's, it's now my turn. And so when we went to his memorial service a few weeks ago, it was appropriately filled with so many stories about his legacy and his belief and the work that he did all throughout the years, the impact he made for the sake of Jesus Christ. And it was a great eulogy and so appropriate. And we spent a long time talking because the the man gave a lot into people's lives for the sake of Christ. But as I listened to these stories that were super appropriate, and as we spent a lot of time talking about his legacy, there was one thing that was missing. And it was sort of glaring to me, but it was something muted in the service. It's not a knock on anybody there. I don't think anybody failed. It's just, it's, it shows to me like what happens when we experience something that shocks us or that doesn't seem to match the thing that we think should happen as we follow Jesus. You know what it was? We talked a lot about his death and his life, but we didn't talk a lot about the gospel. We didn't talk a lot in that service about the good news of Jesus. We, if there's ever a time when one can be aggressive with the gospel, it's at a funeral. And so as I was sitting there thinking about that and thinking about the simple story of the gospel and seeing that it was muted in this service, I thought this must be how it is for all of us. That at times we could could forget or we, we might mute the power of the simple gospel in our lives. But the reality is we need to be reminded of it. And we need to remind one another of the gospel, the simple gospel truths frequently. It's not a... Uh, a peripheral thing. It's not something that is a waste of time. And even though we know it, we should speak it out and live it out and say it to one another. I need the church to remind me of the simple truths of the gospel. You know, pastors, we need you to remind us why we do this, the story of Jesus and, and the reality of that story. We all need to hear it. And so this morning's message is really about that. It is not a novel message. You're not going to receive maybe new points This is all about a reminder today. Remember the gospel. Remember the good news. And so to help us to do that, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And I'm going to be reading from verses 12 through 28. And so if you have your Bible, you might open there. And as I read, out of reverence of, of, of the scripture, if you would oblige and, and stand with me as I read this powerful passage. It says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, and when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in a subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in a subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. And the point that God may be all in all. And we'll close there. You may be seated. This chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, is about reminding the Corinthian believers about the good news. The Christians there needed a reminder of the gospel because they were being heavily influenced by more worldly behaviors and thinking. Some of the issues that they struggled with in the Corinthian church included greed and lust, sexual immorality. There was discord. And these are just some of the issues that they faced. And here we read that one of the issues, which is a really terrible issue for the church to be struggling with, is that some were denying that Christ was bodily resurrected. They were denying the resurrection. And so Paul, who typically um, has, you know, if you're, we're used to reading the, the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, towards the end of this passage, you recognize he's got these long sentences that, that uh, really are filled with a lot of data. And you're like, what does he say? We're going to spend a lot of time on that, right? I'm not going to be able to do that this morning. But at the beginning of this chapter, the first three verses, it is a presentation of the gospel, what we didn't read, and it is so succinct. It's so succinct that you can tell this was likely such a memorable message to remind people with that Paul could just repeat it. It's exactly as he received it. We call it the kerygma. It was what they communicated to one another as they, as they spread the gospel. And it was simply the truths of that Jesus died, he was buried, 
he rose again according to the scriptures. So the Old Testament prophesied about these things before they would happen. That's a miracle. And then we know this is true because many people saw him. So they didn't see a phantom. They didn't see some sort of weird reflection or spirit. They actually saw him. And that's the gospel. We received that, he says, and we gave it to you. And so now these people, these ones that, that needed this reminder, they, they had to, to come back to the simple truths so that they wouldn't steer off into a pathway that would lead them to despair, to deny the bodily re- resurrection. So the first part of the gospel to be reminded of today, again, not a novel point, but important, an important activity for the church today. Remember the resurrection. This would be a great sermon for Easter Sunday, but I think that we should talk about this more frequently. We should say things like, he is risen. We should say that more. Why do we only say that on Easter Sunday? I mean, we don't want it to get rote, but it's true. He's alive. He's risen indeed. As we think of this truth, as we know this truth, what we, what we believe changes how we behave. That's why it's important to have of remembrance, because what you know, as they say, is what you show. And if we believe things like Jesus is alive, that changes how you behave. That changes how you live. That changes how you interpret everything around you. When we read the New Testament Gospels, you see the people who encountered the resurrected Lord Jesus, they were not the same after they saw him. And neither should we be as well as we remind ourselves, as we come to this truth, this fact that Jesus is alive. Remember the resurrection. But we know how easy sometimes it can be for that to get diminished in, in, our, in our thinking and in our lives. You know, even in our day, that's the same kind of thinking that the Corinthians were struggling with, that there is no bodily resurrection, there's no life after death, is sort of a sentiment as well that you can see anywhere around you today. You think about some of the worldly sentiments that, that people say, you know, you, you live like there's no tomorrow. You ever heard that? Live your life like there's no tomorrow. Or YOLO. You know YOLO, right? YOLO. Who, you know, what is YOLO? You only live once. And in part, I understand the motivations behind these sentiments. It's the recognition that this moment today, right now, is important. And it is. You know, we, we should think about right here, right now, in the present. But the problem is that that's only part of the whole picture, And so worldly thinking is sometimes just looking at the here and now as if it's the only thing that matters. And if we did that, then our circumstances would would dictate things that would would cause our faith to struggle because sometimes your day doesn't go the way you want it to. So maybe some would protest this idea that right here, right now is is not the most important thing. By the way, right here, right now, if there's like a lot of songs with that wording in it. I mean, that could be a fun thing afterwards. It's like, name all the songs that say right here, right now in the verses. Anyway, I digress. Some of you might protest and say, but Jesus himself said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has troubles of its own. And here is another example of what it's like when we only live for the here and now, because taking that verse in isolation, uh, it, it, that's not exactly what he's saying, is that you shouldn't worry about the future. But the context of the Sermon on the Mount, as he's, Jesus is speaking to his audience, he's telling them a command, don't worry about your life, because God knows what you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. God knows what you need. 
And in fact, the, the standout lesson here, if we zoom out and look at that whole section, what Jesus is saying is, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, because God knows what you need. What Jesus is saying, what he's pointing his audience to is to remind them or to to instruct them maybe for the first time is to have an eternal perspective. Look to this this God who's the the Lord of heaven and earth. There's, There's a kingdom of heaven that's beyond just the here and now. So yes, today is important, but so is yesterday. God took care of you yesterday. He will continue to do that. So remind yourself of that. Today is important as well. And what, what would stop us to think that tomorrow he's also not going to be the Lord? So we have to zoom out and look at this bigger picture. 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Jesus was just telling us good moral things, if he did just a lot of great things to show us how to live a life that would help us feel better and more, be more content and feel blessed, in the here and now, well, we're most to be pitied. There's no difference then to what, who Jesus is and what he did then, what other things we could find that could make us happy with our lives. There are plenty of belief systems and teachers and things out there that people can put their faith in to make them content and happy, to feel better about their lives. But what, what is the thing that tips it over here is that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. He is alive. And so therefore, if we think of this text saying we are to be most pitied if we only live in this life, but so we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't behave as if there's only death after life, but that there's also life after death. In verse 22, it says that in Adam, all die. You live and you die. And that's like there's only death after life. It's sort of the sentiments that I experienced when I was sitting in my friend's funeral, this missionary with a prominent witness. It was like, it was only about there's just death after life. We should also be reminded and live that there, with this truth that there is life after death. It goes on to say, with faith in Christ, we are made alive. Many will be alive. So God has made provision for everything, including our need to overcome death. And that is not a truth for us to just gloss over. We were made for eternity. You know, death is something it just doesn't compute. It doesn't ever make sense. I'll never forget the first time I saw death. I was 16 years old, and one of my classmates who was 17, we were in high, he was a junior in high school, he passed away. And we went to his memorial service, and he had a viewing. And as a 16-year-old, it did not compute to see my friend who had once had conversations and cracked jokes with, and he's gone. It just didn't compute. I, it didn't make sense to me. And as a pastor, having walked with people when they're in, nearing the end of their life and, and not walking with them, sitting at their side, maybe on their deathbed, we have these conversations. There's a lot of questions. It doesn't compute. Why? Why is this happening? There's a lot of questioning. And sometimes to tell you the truth, I'm the one asking the questions. Why? You know, pastors, we don't always have the right answers to everything. Right? Surprised? I was going to say, maybe Paul has a little bit more wisdom uh, than me, but, but sometimes we're asking those questions as well. Why? Certainly my missionary friend was asking that same question. Death doesn't make sense. And here's an interesting thought to add. When I look at the ministry of Jesus, he had a prolific and powerful 
ministry of healing. You know, it's the songs that we teach our kids. He made the lame to walk and the blind to see. He healed people from their diseases. Why? Now, we know, obviously, it was a demonstration of God's power. But why, why heal somebody who's going to die anyway? You know, um, I'm reminded of this as well. Every time I look at, like, at my aging, and it's like I'm getting closer every day, right? Uh, I had contacts I, that I had to get um, for, for my eyes because my eyes are getting worse. And it's a reminder, like, my body's failing. Um, this last week, we finally had some cloudy weather. And I told my wife, and she made fun of me, that my joints were hurting. She was like, oh, arthritis, you're getting old. Now you can tell the weather when the clouds come because your joints start to hurt. It's a reminder. I'm getting a little bit older, right? When Jesus did these miracles, and think about the one that gets me the most is Lazarus, who died. He was dead for days, and he shows up to Lazarus' his tomb. And, and even like the King James says, they tell Jesus, don't go in there. He stinketh. He smells. He's, I know. What? He'd been dead for a while. It didn't stop Jesus. He raises Lazarus. I would have lo- I've had so many deathbed conversations with people and, and the, just as they near that part of their life. I would have loved to have had that kind of conversation with Lazarus the second time he died. Lazarus, what was the point of that? Jesus raised you from the dead and now here you are again. Why do that? Why did he do that? You know, and you wonder what, what, what that conversation would have been like. But nevertheless, what the power of Jesus' miracles was demonstrating was the power that's within him to defeat death, to give us an insight for what's to come, to, to foreshadow this provision of God to free us f- from the shackles of death. And we sang about that this morning. Jesus was pointing to himself who would be the first fruit, as the text tells us, of resurrection. Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection. And so if there was no such thing as rising from the dead, as bodily resurrection, as some of those Corinthians were saying, as some people today think that there is no such thing, and then, then Christ would not be alive. And, and what's the point of any of this? But he is alive, and he was witnessed by many, and he is the first fruit of resurrection. And so that means that all of us who will die, and the text says it like we fall asleep, which I love that. It's like it's temporary. It's just falling asleep. We will live too. Amen? We have to be reminded of that. We will rise again like he is the first fruit of resurrection. So right now, you know, at this time of year is a great example of that. It's the sort of like we're in harvest, but it's still kind of the beginning of harvest. And in Healdsburg, we know when the harvest is happening because, boy, it takes longer to get home. You get stuck behind those trucks with all these vats of grapes. You're like, mm, I'm going to try to have a good attitude right now, but it should take me five minutes. It'll take me 15 minutes to get home behind these trucks. But when we first moved up here, the air smelled so sweet. And that, that sign of the harvest, it, it, you know, the, the idea of the first fruit, especially as we read it in the Old Testament, that the first fruit was a symbol that showed you this is what you can expect from the rest of the crop. This is a sign of what's coming. And so that first fruit, hopefully the best, would show you this is what you can expect next. The crop is going to be a good year. Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection. That is the crop. It's going to be good, believers. It's, it's why we remind ourselves when we go through this world of trouble that resurrection is real. He's the first fruit. 
And so we worship him as the first fruit of God, and we will be like him. So remember the resurrection, an important point today. But there's something else that the text points out that we also need to remember, and you might have not seen it as glaringly um, clear as the ideas of resurrection. It's found in verse 25. It says this, For Jesus must reign until God has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, this is an important reference of the Old Testament. It is Psalm 110, verse 1. And Psalm 110, verse 1 reads this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies a footstool. Now, originally, this psalm was about David, Yahweh telling David, I'm going to give authority and power to your dynasty, you as the king. Your enemies will be made a footstool. But here's what's interesting. That verse, Psalm 110, verse 1, is the most referenced verse in the New Testament. It's all over the place. This, when it's referenced, is referring to Jesus. It's referring to Jesus in his ascension. And so this would be the next thing that we need to remember, church. We need to remember his ascension. When we talk about the gospel, we think of the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 3, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. But as we read forward and we got to verse 25, there's a quotation that's referencing the ascension. So it goes death, burial, resurrection, ascension. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, that this right hand means he's in this place of dominion. He's in this place of power and rule and authority. And, and sometimes we have amnesia to that because when we experience the troubles of this world, we don't reconcile that very well with the sovereignty and the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. But just because we experience those things doesn't negate that. It is still the truth. He is ascended. Remember the ascension. The work of the cross is ushered in the kingdom At his second coming, there will be a consummation when justice is realized and all the dead in Christ will rise. But we currently live in his kingdom. So if you noticed in the latter parts of this passage I read from 1 Corinthians, verses 24 through 28, vacillate tense. It goes from um, the present tense to the future tense as it's talking about the the, the subjecting of the kingdom and the authority and the power. And, And basically to summarize... We, we say it like this. We live in a kingdom that is already and not yet. So we currently live with Jesus as the ascended one at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to consummate the, the fullness of the kingdom. And the dead will rise. And in that moment, in, in this moment, the right here, right now, Paul would tell the Romans in Romans 8.34, he says that Jesus from the, the side of the Father, he intercedes for us. That is what he's doing for you right now. In his place of dominion, he is interceding for us. He goes on to say, so that nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or COVID-19 or California politics or fill in the blank. What will separate you from the love of God? And the answer is nothing. He says, 
in all these things, we are overwhelmingly, not kind of like we, we, it was like almost a tie. We are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. That is our current reality. We live under the ascended king. This is a kingdom that is already and not yet. And the other image of that Psalm 110 verse, it comes with a word picture. I just, I want you to hear this word picture. He's making his enemies a footstool. And the biblical references to the enemies of a footstool is this image of a warrior with his, with his enemy underneath him and he's got his foot on his enemy's neck. That's the word picture. That the footstool is your enemy's neck and the neck is what paralyzes, right? And that, that your enemy is rendered powerless. So what is currently happening is death itself is being made the very footstool of Christ. That is what is, is happening. He has at the enemy death by the neck. So remember his ascension today. And to you, Soma Church, on your wonderful anniversary, there's one more thing to remember. The final thing here to go along with that. Remember, therefore, the commission. Remember the commission. In Matthew chapter 8, 28, 18 through 20, before Jesus ascends, before he's lifted up to, to heaven, before he's out of plain sight, and before he says he will, you know, he said he would return. So before the ascension, he leaves these parting words. He says, all authority in heaven and in the earth have been given to me. He didn't say some of it. Only on some days, only on Sunday. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in the earth. Therefore, as you're going, as you're living your lives, make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bringing them into the fullness of who God is, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And by the way, he didn't say, you know, freeing them from uh, institutions of race and gender and teaching them how to vote. He, he didn't go into that. He said, teaching them to observe what I've commanded you. And then the final word, I'm with you. I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. We are today to be making disciples, and I don't think it has to be that complicated. Well, I know sometimes we have to be clever and we have to be considerate about how we share the love of God with people who don't know him. And we have to be clever and thoughtful about how we disciple even our own. Like I disciple, we disciple our families, right? I'm looking at my kids right now. Making disciples may not be easy, but it doesn't have, it's, there, it's not that complicated as it pertains to sharing the love of God and revealing the love of God to all people. It's expressed fully through the gospel. It's expressed fully through the work of Christ that he defeated death and he's alive and he's coming again. That's the gospel. And, and we're, we're, we're revealing to people our hope is in eternal life. God so loved the world. It's that John three sixteen verse that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Death is made the footstool. So today, I needed to be reminded of that. This is why we do what we do. This is why I'm called of God to help the church, to lead in the church. And you're called of God as well to be part of the body and to lead in the church as well and to serve and to, to be the light 
in this community that we live in. And so remember the gospel today. Remember this gospel that we have received. Remember this gospel in which we currently stand. Jesus is alive. We stand today in that truth. And remember that this is the gospel we've received that saves us from death. That nothing will, will stop uh, us from, from accomplishing or being part of that salvation. When, when I read the book of Acts, and I'll, I'll close with this. It took me two years, by the way, to go through the book of Acts. Probably after hearing me today, you could understand why that is. But we went through the book of Acts, and one of the themes after we see the story of Jesus ascending to the right, the right hand of the Father, and he commissions his disciples to go, make disciples. You know what I notice about the story, a theme that emerges in the book of Acts? Nothing stopped the church. There were so many things coming up against the church to try to stop it. So many distractions. You ever feel like that now? I know a lot of us pastors are feeling that now. There's so many distractions. Let's not get distracted. The, the theme here is Jesus is unstoppable. There's nothing that's going to stop him. So we can't get distracted. We look to the face of Jesus. Don't let's, let's not be distracted. He won't be stopped. His kingdom is already and not yet. So we stand in that gospel. That is the gospel that frees us. Let me pray for us. And so, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the reminders that come from your, your holy word. We thank you that you fill us with your spirit to cause these words to come to life. God, we, we need these reminders that Jesus is with us. He is alive. He's not an idea. He's not just something that we think about uh, one day of the week on a Sunday. But he is breathing, moving, and that his will will be done. His kingdom will come. So today we pray, God, in light of sometimes things we don't understand that happen in our day, in our world, when, you know, we think of this weekend and the events of 20 years ago on 9-11, we think of loved ones that we've lost and the troubles we experience, we can't forget this image that you've given us through your holy word of the enemy of Christ being made his footstool. He has death by the neck. And that, may that empower us as we believe that, that it changes how we live, how we behave, how we, how we, the urgency that we have as we, as we think about the need that others have to overcome death. Maybe people that we know that don't know Jesus. Empower us, God, to reveal that love that he has. And God, fill us again today with the energy, the vitality of resurrection life. God, we love you because you first loved us. And greater are you who lives in us than he who's in the world. And, and God, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So thank you, Lord, for our lives. We give them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for having me today.